My name is David Humiston. I am not on the pastoral staff here. Uh, I was asked to speak as a guest. This summer we're highlighting people, characters, who are unusable, people who God used but you really would not expect to really do a good job or do a good thing. So they've asked me to talk. <laughs> Wait a minute. Maybe I should have thought about when they asked me why they asked me. We're going to talk about the life of Jacob in the Bible. And Jacob's life had a lot of struggle with his family, especially with his brother, and we see that. So just, it's kind of different from what we have now, but some things haven't changed. By a show of hands, how many middle children do we have in the room? Raise hands. You know, I think with this many people, I would see some. I've just insulted about 100 people because middle children spent their whole life being like, see me, see me. <laughs> no one sees me. I see you. Of course, the youngest are thinking, why didn't you use me in your illustration? And of course, the oldest are thinking, I would never do something so insulting and hurtful. I would have done it better. So there's this dynamic that happens based on where you are and where you were born in your family. So this summer, we're looking at unusable characters, how God used and uses messy, broken people. And we see that throughout the Bible. Tonight, we're looking at Tonight, this morning, we're looking at Jacob. So why is Jacob, this patriarch of the Bible, unusable? So there's kind of two things, both then and now. Then, Jacob was not the firstborn. So he wasn't supposed to get the blessing and the inheritance and all of that. So he wasn't supposed to be the one to get what he got. But as of today, there's a different way that he sort of seems unusable, even if it might not have seemed unusable then. As we read his story, we see that Jacob's life is characterized by deceitfulness, conniving, striving, trying to earn what God has promised, and he burns bridges and injures his family to do it. So we find ourselves reading this and going, why would God use such a messy person with messy situations? So that's the kind of unusable we're thinking about. And I'll, it highlights the fact that God uses real people, and the Bible shows real life stories. Not perfect people, not people that have it all together, but people God uses even through the mess. So here's what we see in Jacob's life. God keeps his promises based on his character, that is God's, not ours. We see that we are not unusable to God based on our background, your family and your expectations. You are not unusable to God based on your circumstances, even when it's the circumstances from your own actions and decisions and you are not unusable to God based on your efforts, whether they're successful or unsuccessful. God does not show favoritism. So we're going to see that as we go, but before we dig into the passage, let me just pray for our time. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of being here. I thank you that you are a God whose character is using broken people and that you see us. Would you show us your insight and kindness of your heart through Jacob's life today? In your son's name we pray, amen. So, Jacob, who are we talking about? We're talking about in the book of Genesis, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, who would later be renamed as Israel, as his 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel. So he is a big name, big figure in the Bible. God promised Abram, Abraham in Genesis 15, 5, that your offspring would be like the stars in the sky, if you could even count them, and that they would be a great nation and a blessing. But at this point, he's only had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, and Isaac is Jacob's father. 
Now, as we look at this, last week Larry Olson did such a great job going through the four verses that had on Lydia in the New Testament. We have 10 chapters to go through, so I'm going to do a lot of paraphrasing, a lot of summarizing. This is in Genesis 25 through 35, and I would encourage you to read it on your own this week. And as you do that, look for every time there's betrayal, deceit, and mess, and favoritism. Um, I was shocked at how much was in there. So this morning, what we're going to talk about is just enough of Jacob's story arc to show what his character is like, what he went through, and how God interacted with him. And the way that works is, first, his time at home, where we get his background, and then a 20-year break when he's with his uncle, where we see his character and his life progressing, and finally, his homecoming. And in between each of those progressions, we have these, the times that God meets him in a powerful way. And as you listen, just pay attention for the parts of Jacob's life, even especially the messy parts, where maybe your life has some similar parallels, and see what God does with it. So we start out at home, and Isaac has prayed for his wife, Rebekah, because she was childless, and she conceived. But the children inside her struggled with, it, with each other, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the, world, of the Lord. So she doesn't have the what to expect when you're expecting app. I guess. So she goes one better. She goes to God. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two nations will come from you and be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came to give birth, there were indeed twins, see, God knows, in her womb. The first one came out red-looking, covered with hair like a fur coat, and they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand. So he was named Jacob. And then a little bit about what their family life was like. Isaac loved Esau, the older, because he had a taste for wild game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So names often mean a lot in different cultures. And what this shows us here is there's a little bit of wordplay going on in this situation when the twins are born. When Jacob is born second, holding on to his brother's heel, it's almost like he's saying, no, me first. Like even in as he's being born, like, I want to be the oldest. I want all the stuff. And so they name him Jacob, which kind of means usurper, one who holds back, one who trips up. So he's got this expectation, even from birth through his name, that who this guy is going to be is someone who is willing to, like, hold someone else back to get what he wants for himself at any case, in any situation. And that's what we see. He has this striving behavior. We also notice that there are favorites in this family, and we just have to say that this kind of parental favoritism is poisonous, and it injures Jacob and his family the whole way through. So we'll see what kind of tension that causes. So we move from this general tension between the brothers to a specific event. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau, his older brother, came in from the field exhausted. He said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> I'm hungry. Give me your inheritance. <laughs> you think that Esau is going to be like, buzz off. I'll find some, a meal somewhere else. But he doesn't. He says, look, I'm about to die. So what good is a birthright to me? You're not going to die. Then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. Now, this is a little confusing because we don't have anything like a birthright in our society. All of our, 
are things being passed down as kind of like contracts and wills. But at this time, what a birthright was, every one of the children would have, uh, the sons would have gotten a portion of the father's wealth. But the, typically the oldest would get the birthright, which would mean that he'd get an extra portion. So there was a monetary benefit. There was a power and authority benefit. Whoever had the birthright became kind of like the spokesman and the leader of the family. And there was also a spiritual role where they were kind of acting as the priest of the family. So Esau should never have discarded what he had. But what you have here is you got this scheme, and whether Jacob premeditated it or was just opportunistic, he built up this conflict, the two of them, and he takes this from his brother. Now, if there was any doubt about what Jacob was willing to do to get what he could get, the next event, the second of these, really seals it. When Isaac is older and his sight is going, the father, he says to his oldest son, look, I don't know when I'm going to die, so why don't you go hunting, get some food, make it the way I love it, bring it to me, and I will bless you. I will give you the fatherly blessing of the family. So Esau goes out to do this to get the blessing. His mother, Rebecca, hears this and hatches this plot to basically steal that instead. She says, look, don't go hunting. Your brother's out hunting. Go to the flock, get two goats, bring them to me. I'll cook them just the way your father likes it, and then we'll dress you up as your brother, and then you can get the blessing. And Jacob answered Rebecca, his mother, look, my brother is a hairy man, but I'm a man with smooth skin. Suppose my father touches me then I'll be revealed to him as a deceiver and bring a curse rather than a blessing on myself. And we get a little bit of insight into Jacob's character. He doesn't go, well, that would be horrible for my brother, or, or that's not right. He's just like, well, what if we get caught? Is your plan good enough? This is the kind of person we're dealing with who becomes later, you know, a father of the house of Israel. But his mother urges him on. They proceed with the plan. They put Esau's clothes on him so he smells like uh, Esau. And they put goat skin on him so he's hairy like him. They give him the food. He goes to his father. He asks who it is. And Jacob replies, I am Esau, your firstborn. There's the lie. I have done as you told me. Please sit up, eat some of my game so that you may bless me. And Isaac says, how did you ever find it so quickly, my son? And Jacob brings God into his lie. He replied, because the Lord your God made it happen to me. Isaac asks several times if it's really Esau to the point that he says, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. But eventually, he's convinced and he blesses him. And part of that blessing is, may people serve you and nations bow down in worship to you. Be master over your relatives. May your mother's sons bow in worship to you. So the deed is done. It was Rebekah's plan, but Jacob perpetrated it. Esau comes back. He and his father figure it out, and everything goes crazy. Esau heard his father's words. He cried out with a loud, bitter cry and said, Bless me too, my father. But he replied, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And now we see how Esau thinks about his brother Jacob. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? For he cheated me twice now. He took my birthright, and look, now he's taken my blessing. So his brother's identity is cemented in his mind now. He had a name that meant deceiver or one who trips up. So maybe before he was like, the guy that messed with me once, but now it's like, you're a bona fide deceiver. I knew you were no good. So the point we have here is we are not unusable 
to God because of our background. By rights, Jacob shouldn't have gotten what he, want, what he got because he wasn't the firstborn and he shouldn't have got the blessing, but he tricked his father. What God predicted to Rebekah happened and what God promised Abraham was not stopped. Jacob came from and contributed to a messy home. So that makes me wonder, where in your life do you have this kind of messy home background? We see here in this favoritism that sort of plays out in the story, we see how poisonous it can be for families. So if I can just take a moment and say, if you're from a place where you were told by those that should have cared for you that you were no good or that you weren't good enough or you'd never amount to anything, know that that is a lie. God loves you and sees you. And if you have favoritism now, either in parenting or to friends or at work, can I just ask you to pray to reveal that to yourself? Look for ways to stop that and make amends to those that's affecting because it can damage lives. The key thing here is I'm asking myself, what is God doing? He lied to his family and injured his brother to get the thing that God promised was going to happen. Is God rewarding this bad behavior? God is not giving this blessing to Jacob because Jacob had a great plan. God keeps his promise to us based on God's character, not ours. There is no favoritism with God, according to Romans 2.11. And in Exodus, God says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God is showing that nothing limits his kindness, not the structure of the way the family is supposed to go, not the plan of what it's supposed to be. No one is unusable, and no one is outside of being loved by God. God is not rewarding bad behavior. But you find yourself saying, our, our culture is so based on fairness. You know, we find ourselves saying, isn't, isn't this just being, showing favoritism to Jacob at Esau's expense? Now, our showing favoritism and doing this is a problem because we can't see people's hearts and we aren't infinitely kind. But God is and he knows us and nothing can stop him from showing his loving kindness to anyone. I think the real clue that God is not rewarding this behavior is that there are consequences. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Jacob has ruined his relationship with his brother and his brother is now willing to kill him and he literally has to flee for his life. There are major consequences. His mother gets word of this, sends him away to his uncle for a kind of a safe haven, which he thinks for a couple days, and it winds up being a period of 20 years. And Rebecca never sees her favorite son again, and Jacob never sees his mother again. God is not rewarding this terrible behavior, but does not disqualify him from the blessing that God said he'd give on God's own behalf. So, as Jacob moves to the second phase where he moves out of his home life and goes to his uncle to find a wife, he, has to, he leaves with nothing but his staff and he stops at a place to sleep and he has nothing. The Bible says that he has a pillow for a rock, a rock for a pillow. And as he sleeps, he has this vision of, of a ladder, a stairway with, with God's angels going up and down and that's where the Jacob's ladder phrase comes from. And we see what he says. The Lord was standing there beside him saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. 
I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out towards the west, the east, the north, and the south, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. So Jacob comes from this low point in his life when he's fleeing for his life with nothing at all except the promise of the blessing. And he meets God and God shows up. And it becomes the high point of his life because God shows up. God is the one that initiates this. He basically says, I am still going to give you the blessing that I promised through your family. So what that tells me here is that we are not unusable to God because of our circumstances. And the clues there are based on when and how God shows up. God shows up when we have nothing to offer. Jacob has nothing to his name right now. He's literally using a rock as a pillow. God shows up when we are suffering and weak, even when it's the consequences of our own actions. When we do things our way, we often hurt ourselves and those we care about, but it doesn't disqualify us from God's love. God shows up while we're still in the middle of the mess. At this point, Jacob has just perpetrated a crime against his family and brought God into it and hasn't done anything to apologize for it, and yet God still meets him. And finally, God shows up before Jacob's character is changed. Remember before when he said, your God made it happen to me. If we read into that a little bit, Jacob is not saying it, claiming any identity of connecting to God himself. It's just the God of his family, right? So even though he meets God and now he claims, I've changed, I'm excited, I'm, this is my God, you notice how he says, if God will be with me, if he provides me with food for this journey, Jacob's character has not changed. He's still trying to bargain and buy and kind of negotiate with God and be like, if you'll do this thing, I'm your guy. He hasn't changed yet. He's just met God. We don't have to bargain and strive to get what God has promised. We just have to accept what he's offered because we do not earn our salvation or his love. So Jacob arrives where he's going, at his uncle's land, looking for a wife. His uncle is Laban, and he meets his daughter, the younger of two, Rachel, and he falls in love. When Laban heard the news about his sister's son Jacob, he ran to meet him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then he took him to his house, and Jacob told him all that had happened. After Jacob had stayed with him a month, Laban said to him, just because you're my relative, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Jacob left a place where he was a successful trickster, and he is about to get schooled in the world of deceit by his uncle. You know how nice this is? He's like, oh, why should you work and not get paid? Who said anything about working? He was just visiting. But he's like, why don't you work for me? I'll pay you. But because Jacob loves Rachel, Jacob loved Rachel, so he answered Laban, I'll work for you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Aww. <laughs> so when the seven years is up, Laban throws the wedding party. That evening, Laban, Laban took his daughter, Leah, and gave her to Jacob, and he slept with her. And how about this for the loaded sentence? When the morning came, there was Leah. <laughs> Talk about a lot in one sentence. 
Ta-da! So there's more we could say there, but Jacob has been tricked. He's worked for seven years, and he didn't get the person he was promised and loved. So he said to Laban, what have you done to me? Wasn't it for Rachel that I worked for you? Why have you deceived me? How's it feel to get tricked? Laban answered, it is not the custom in our country to give the younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn. Complete this week of wedding celebration, and we will also give you the younger one in return for working <clears throat> yet another seven years for me. So Laban beats Jacob at his own game. He gets 14 years of, of service out of Jacob, and he gets both of his daughters married off, and Jacob's baggage catches up with him. The same social structure of who's supposed to be oldest and get what's due to them bites him in the same way that he injured his family getting it. So as a matter of application, even though we meet God and He meets us where we are, I got to say and remind us, you may face the same baggage over and over in your life. Even though you may learn what it is and face and get through it, you may face that same kind of thing again and again. But the good news is God's presence there makes all the difference, and He doesn't leave us, and it certainly doesn't disqualify us from His care and love. And just because God is with you does not mean you always avoid the consequences of our actions. But again, that does not mean that God abandons us. So, Jacob's here in the middle of the situation. Now he's got his two wives, and the family grows. Chapter 29 through 30 explains that through this family, he has eventually the 12 children, 13 including his daughter. But it's messy, right? It's not a very clear situation. He actually has five children from Leah, two from Rachel's servant, two from Leah's servant, and one, eventually two, from Rachel. And he does wind up showing favoritism for Rachel, his beloved's children. So he has this big family. God clearly blesses them, and they become the nation of Israel. But since this does not follow God's plan, ideal for marriage of one man and one woman, there is drama, there is conflict, there is mess, and it's difficult. And God is saying, I have boundaries for you, and therefore you're good. They're not for restriction. So Jacob has the family now, but he doesn't have any wealth. So he negotiates with his uncle, and he gets this idea. He says, Laban, here's what we're going to do if you're cool with it. I've already been shepherding for you. You know that I'm good at it. Let's do this. How about I just take all of your flocks that are spotted and speckled, just some of them, and those will be mine. And then we'll always know which ones are supposed to be mine and which are yours, because you can always do a spot check. <laughs> the pun isn't in the Bible, but that is Jacob's plan. <laughs> Laban says totally, sure. So Jacob's got this plan. And what Laban says, yeah, that's fine. But then what he does is that very day, he calls out all of his flocks that already have spots and spe speckles, he gives them to his brothers, sons, my fault, and he sends them three days away. So basically what he's saying is, sure, Jacob, you can have all the spotted lambs. Oh, sorry, there aren't any. Hmm. This doesn't phase Jacob. He comes up with a counter-deceit, and he comes up with this situation where he breeds the speckled ones, and it's actually kind of crazy. You're going to like this. Please read it. I'm not making this up. He puts leaves with speckles and spots in front of them while they're breeding, and when they breed, they have spots and speckles. 
hold on, we'll get to this. But the idea is basically that he breeds the strong ones to be his, the spotted ones, and he breeds the weak ones to be plain Labans, okay? Now, we have to stop for a second and say, this is not an anti-science moment for the Bible, okay? This is not the Bible saying, this is how genetics work, all right? I'm extrapolating a little bit, but I have to tell you that I think that God is saying, oh, oh, Jacob, that's your plan? You think that's how that works? Sure, okay. I don't think it's beyond God to make whatever happen, happen. Not because Jacob has a good plan or has any idea how genetics work, but because God wants to show his kindness to Jacob as he promised. And it reminds me, our third point, you are not unusable to God because of your efforts. Some of our plans are so ridiculous relative to what God would intend, and we get these ideas that are so far off from his character. And God says, I am still going to love you. I am still going to be with you. But that's silly. The point is here that in this situation, we see Jacob, not only in his early life where he injured his close family, but when he's out in his life, he is still striving. He's trying to control things. He's trying to earn things. And he's trying to manage it. And he gets blessed, but he does a lot of crazy things to make it happen. So at this point, he's about to go home. He wants to leave. But as he leaves and goes back to his home, he remembers the situation when he left, when his brother Esau was ready to kill him. It's been 20 years. Maybe he's forgiven me. Maybe he hasn't. So he sends messengers on ahead to see what's going on. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the territory of Edom. He commanded them, you were to say to my lord Esau, this is what your servant Jacob says. I've been staying with Laban. I've been delayed till now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks. I've sent this message to inform you, my lord, in order to send your favor. So he sends this good news forward. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you. And he has 400 men with him. Maybe it's a welcoming party. Maybe it's a welcoming party with swords. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people with him into two camps, along with the flocks, herds, and camels. He thought, if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, the remaining one might escape. So Jacob literally wonders if his brother is coming to murder him and his family. He's once again at a low point in his life, even though he has all these possessions and family. But his character has improved. What is different this time? He goes to the Lord in prayer. Then Jacob said, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, go back to your land and to your family and I will cause you to prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. So Jacob understands that the blessings were not his doing. It was God's. He says, indeed, I crossed over the Jordan with my staff and now I've become two camps. Please rescue me from my brother Esau for I am afraid of him. You have said to me, I will cause you to prosper and I will make your offspring like the sand of the sea, too numerous to be counted. So Jacob does make a plan. He winds up sending the family on ahead of him so that they can say, here are gifts to you, Esau. Jacob's behind me, sending you gifts. 
But now he's got this night where he stays alone. And this weird wrestling match happens. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob. It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. What is going on here? Once again, God shows up. A man, either God or an angel that he sent, wrestles with him. And Jacob at some point realizes it's God's behalf. And what does he do? Instead of yielding, he fights harder. He realized, my only hope is to get the blessing from God. And once again, he struggles and he grapples and he grasps. And he says, I am not letting you go until you bless me. I need you to bless me. So what is the message here? Are we supposed to fight God? What is going on? Remember, God keeps his promises to us based on his character, not ours. And our character can change when we wrestle with God. I think what's going on here is we're not fighting with God. We're coming to him with all of us. He's saying, I see all of you. I know all of you. I invite you to bring all of your conflict and all of your questions to me. I can handle it. I want to bless you. But work with me. Spend your energy grappling with me. Don't spend it trying to control things, trying to fix things, trying to earn what I have for you. Jacob appeals to God and to his character on behalf of his promise, not on behalf of his good stuff. And we come to him expectantly, and this is what happens. So this is the part that I relate the most to. And I don't know about you, where you're struggling. I spend a lot of my life feeling like I'm just trying to hold things together myself. My wife and I are fairly new parents. You'll see a picture of my son. I should have led with this. It makes me so happy. I am so happy to be the father of this little guy, and we love it. But I feel so much, maybe you feel this, and especially the new parents out there, are you ever just feeling like you're doing everything you can to keep life working? I have to do it this way, and I have to hold everything together, and if I work and I focus and I plan, everything will be okay. And in the end, you're doing stuff like almost literally holding your breath as though to make things better. When God knows and loves him, and can care for him better than I can. And God says, I don't need you to wear yourself out in exhaustion trying to control things. Just come to me, bring your fears, bring your weakness to me. I will care for your family. I love him and I love you. So I don't know what you're struggling with, but remember, if you're getting tired, ask the question, is it tired because I'm trying hard to follow God or is it tiredness because you're trying to control everything and make it happen. And if good things are happening, is it really because of what you're doing? Or is it because God is working through you and he loves you and you've seen it? After this experience, Jacob does meet up with his brother Esau. They do reconcile. And what's really cool is when Isaac dies, he's still alive. His father, it says that his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So reconciliation is possible. And in the end, we see that God did bless Jacob in all the ways that he promised. So in concluding, 
Let's look at Jacob's life and what it means for us. Jacob's life was marked by deceit and trickery and his own striving in ways that contradicted what God would have desired. But despite that, God used him and blessed him, not because of Jacob's good or bad plans, but because God was faithful to his promise to Jacob, and he will be faithful to his promise to us to never leave us or forsake us. We serve the same God now as we did then. No one, none of you, none of us is unusable to God, not because of your background and not for how well or how poorly you strive for it. God renamed Jacob, and we all remember him as Israel, the one who struggled with God, not the one who tripped people up and ruined his family. God invites us to wrestle with him, bring all of you to him, bring your passion, bring your strength and your fears, because he's big enough and he can handle it. So pay attention when you're wrestling and you're getting tired out. Is this because I'm trying to run my life or is it because I need to bring it to God with all of me holding nothing back? I'm going to pray and then Johnny's going to lead us in a closing song. Father, thank you so much for this example of someone who had a promise from you, who knew you would deliver, but tried to earn it. We thank you that because you sent your son Jesus, we do not have to earn our salvation, that we do not have to be perfect before we come to you, that you deliver on your promises and we can be with you forever if we just accept your son's sacrifice for our life because of your goodness and not because of our good works. We ask that you would reveal that to us and reveal your goodness and greatness to us today, this week, and in the future. In your son's name we pray, amen.